0: So we've we've been in this series, uh, I've asked various people to come up and talk about their favorite psalm, and Esteban started the series a few weeks ago, and he he got up here and he said, you know, I don't really have a favorite psalm, uh, which is something that I felt all along too. It's hard to ask somebody, what's your favorite psalm? What's your favorite passage in scripture? If you ask me what my favorite psalm is, I'd say to you, honestly, it kind of depends on my mood right? Uh, It's sort of like asking me, what's your favorite song? Psalms are songs after all, right? If if someone asks you, what's your favorite song? Maybe some of you have a very clear answer, but for me, I'll say, totally depends on my mood, right? And maybe you can relate to that. So as I was considering getting up here and talking about the Psalms, uh, I just sort of asked myself, well, what's (laughs) what's my mood this week, Right? And, um, and this week, of course, we observe a national day of thanksgiving. And so I, I've been thinking about thanksgiving. I, I want to be in a thankful mood this week. I'm not sure I've, I've always been in a thankful mood this week, but I'm trusting the Lord to help me to be in a thankful mood this week. And I want to encourage you this morning. That's, that's why Psalm 100 is our scripture passage today. This psalm starts off with this, this heading, And the heading is this, it's it's a psalm for giving thanks. So it's perfect, right? Seems very appropriate for us to be looking at this this week. A psalm for giving thanks. So let me read it again. Kelsey read it for us just a few minutes ago. Let me read it again. And just read with me, follow, intensely listen. Let these words sink into your, your hearts. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. The word of God. It's a beautiful psalm. It's one of the short psalms, but it's so full of just goodness. It's a beautiful psalm. You'll notice that the psalm is divided into four stanzas. You you might have noticed that the stanzas sort of fall under two categories. The first and the third stanzas are these invitations to, to come and to give praise and thanks to God, right? They're, they're, they're this, it's almost is saying, sing to him, be joyful, right? Come into his presence and give thanks. That's what the first and the third stanzas do. And then the, the second and the fourth give us reasons for thanksgiving to God. This is why he's worthy, in other words these other two stanzas. I wanna ask you, Jake mentioned it as he was opening up our prayer time this morning. I think it's a good question to reflect upon. Is it difficult for you to give thanks? Can be, right? Thanksgiving can be a really challenging week. We know we're supposed to have this day of thanks, but it, it is sometimes quite challenging. To give thanks to God the, the thing that, that sort of bothers me is that I know how easy it is to give praise and be thankful for a lot of other things. and we'll see that probably on Thursday if you're gathering together with family or friends to have a Thanksgiving meal, you'll, you'll see how easily it, it is, how easily it comes to, to be thankful to give praise for things like football. Right? We're going to watch the Bears thoroughly demolish the Lions on Thursday, the midday game. That's exciting. <laughs> and we're going to naturally yell and scream and cheer and sing maybe perhaps, right? Football excites us. And for some of you, when that, when that turkey and the stuffing and the, and the potatoes and the gravy are set before you, your reaction is going to be, yes, right? <laughs> I've waited all year. It's easy to, to, to praise the things that we value, and that's, that's, the, that's the point. Praise comes naturally to the things that we value. So I want to ask you, again, to consider this. Do you feel like giving praise to God on Thanksgiving Do you find God to be not only valuable, but supremely valuable? If you're cool to the idea, and I'm sure some of us are, if you're cool to the idea, perhaps you need a glimpse of the supremely valuable nature of God. So that's my intent this morning. That's why Psalm 100. May the Lord give us a glimpse of, More than a glimpse, may he overwhelm us with the supremely valuable nature of himself. You know, thanksgiving doesn't usually start with what you feel, by the way. I asked you if you feel like giving thanks. It doesn't usually start with what you feel. It starts with what you know. Knowing begets feeling. And that's why I love this psalm, because the psalmist invites us to praise and to thank God by reminding us what we can know about Him. Did you see that? Look at at verse 3. Know this, he says. I want you to know something. Because in knowing, you have knowable reasons for praise and thanksgiving to God. So I want to divide up the passage here into three, three things that we can know. About God. Three knowable reasons for praise and thanksgiving to God. And the first one is this it's we can know the nature of God. The nature of God. Look again at at the beginning of verse three know that the Lord, He is God. The first thing we're to know, get this, the first thing we're we're to know is that God is knowable. He's knowable. He has a name. And he has a nature. It says here, the Lord. It's probably capitalized in your, in your Bibles there. Know this, the Lord, He is God. When we see the Lord in our Old Testament and the English versions that we have, that's a translation of what was written originally in the Hebrew text here as Yahweh or Jehovah. So the psalmist here isn't just saying something general like No, God is God. He's saying something specific. He's saying this. He's saying the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David, this God, he is the one true God. He is the maker of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who reigns and rules over all creation. It is he who made us. He's knowable. Very specific, one and only God to have in mind here. And there's so many things that can be said from this short little sentence. We could spend all day unpacking them. But I just want to pull out a few significant highlights the first one is this. By saying this, the psalmist is, is reminding us here that, that by saying he, is, he alone is God. He is the one true God. He is the one who has no rival powers. There are no rivals to the Lord. He is God. There's no one above Him. There's no one beside Him. No rivals. Which means this, that the Creator is also the controller of all. There is nothing that happens outside of the will of our God. The one that we can know. He's the one who made us. And I I love this. The ESV doesn't translate it this way. But if you have a New King James or a King James or a New American Standard, some of the original manuscripts say this. They say, he made us and not we ourselves. You are what and who you are, not by your own power, not by your own achievement, but only by the grace and the blessing of God. He's the provider. He has no rival, no equal. He's in control of it all, and he provides it all. And then, and then the psalmist says, and we belong to him. We belong to him. Which on the one hand is a statement of authority that flows from the fact that he is the all-powerful one who made us all. We do belong to him. But it's more than a statement of authority. It's a statement of stewardship and protection. You belong to him. You are his precious possession. You are, you are under the protection of the most powerful one in all existence. So get this, get this. The one who made you is knowable, he's knowable. He's revealed himself to us by his name I am the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. And this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sovereign God is not only knowable, but he invites us into a relationship with him by saying, come into my presence. Be be with me. Come into my gates for your joy. You're going to sing here. You're going to rejoice here. Be with me. Give thanks. Make a joyful noise to the knowable God because You know his nature. That's the first thing the psalmist wants to remind us of. He's saying, look, you you can give thanks because you can know this. You, you, You have a noble God. And he is the only God. The second thing he wants us to know is the gospel of God. The gospel of God. If we read the second sentence of this stanza as, We are his as it's translated here, we can say that it doesn't just mean that the, the world belongs to him generally, but rather, for the church, it means that we have a special relationship with him. The psalmist is writing to God's people here and saying, you, you're you his. You belong to him in a, in a unique in and a special way. He is the shepherd. You are the sheep of his pasture. That reading is supported by that that following part of the sentence, right? You're the sheep of his pasture. And I call that the gospel of God because it's the good news that is ultimately knowable to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here the psalmist is thinking specifically of the covenant relationship between God and the people of Israel, right? That's, that's the time he's living in. That's who he's writing to. And yet as Christians, we know that the New Testament points us to the ultimate covenant that God has made with his people and secured with us through the, the blood of his son Jesus. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6 You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. That's how you know you are his. You were ransomed by his blood. You belong to God because you were ransomed by the death of our Savior. And we also know that this special covenant relationship is even, this is cool, even the source of the eternal praises of the angelic beings who are in heaven. In Revelation chapter 5, it says this, They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we're being reminded here through the Word of God that we don't just belong to God because He made us, but because He saved us. And His saving care is involved care. It's ongoing care as the tender care of a shepherd who leads His flock. Verse 3, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. That's a distinguishing grace For you, church, that's a distinguishing grace that sets us apart as his precious children, whom he will shelter and protect under the mighty reach of his unrivaled staff. So that we will remain safe, that we will remain unimpaired till the end. The psalmist wants us, church, to know this. Know this, he says. And we can be confident of this truth because we can look to Jesus. We can look to Jesus, the chief shepherd, and see the purest revelation of God's care for his own. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 34, God talks more about his being a shepherd of his people. And he says this, he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fact, excuse me, and the fat and the strong, I will destroy. I will feed them, my people. In justice, I'll be their shepherd. And and how does God accomplish this? Jesus tells us in John ten, He says, "I'm the good shepherd." Amen. And He says, "The good shepherd lays down His life." the sheep. Think about that. The gospel of God is amazing when you consider it in light of the nature of God. In the nature of God, we're we're reminded that we have this all-powerful, perfect, holy God who stands above all things, and yet in the gospel of God, we're reminded that this all-powerful, perfect God who stands above all has condescended to us. He's come to us, sending us his own Son That he might take our sins upon himself and offer up his sinless life, his sinless life, in order that our guilt may be forgiven. His perfect sacrifice. And then he raises from the dead three days later, right? So that we could have confidence that, that his victory over sin and death is certain. We are his. We are his. And we can give thanks with rejoicing because of the gospel of God. So the psalmist says, yes, don't be thankless. Yes, don't don't be flat. Come, rejoice. Do Do you know who our God is? And do you know what our God has done? And then finally, he says, I want you to know one more thing. I want you to give thanks and rejoice because of the love of God. I've talked about his nature, I've talked about his gospel. Thirdly, the love of God. Look at verses four and five. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. And he says, Four. So, in other words, you can do that because of what I'm about to say. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Look up for a second. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? You know, I, I do too. And yet, I find myself at times practically not believing that. And I, I assume you do too. Right? God is good. Yes, I know. Do I know? I wonder if this might be the most needed pastoral reminder for many of us this morning. The, the psalmist invites us to give thanks and praise to God, to bless his name. In other words, find him supremely valuable. Find him supremely valuable because, because he's good. Because his love endures forever. And yes, again, I find that that truth is often the hardest for Christians to believe. We say we believe in who he is, his nature. Yes, he's the the one God. He's all powerful. We say we believe in what he's done. I believe in the gospel. I know Jesus came and died and, and rose again. But sometimes we struggle to believe that there's an ongoing effect of his love. Why? Why is that hard to believe? Well, I'll tell you why it's hard to believe for me. I'll assume why it's hard to believe for you is the same. It's hard to believe that God will not fail us when we know how often we fail him. And I would would venture to bet that if you're having a hard time being thankful, if you're having a hard time praising God this morning, it's because you sincerely wonder If God's love for you hasn't wavered at least a little bit, do you ever, do you ever think or talk like that? God, someone says to you, God loves you. And you say, well, I mean, I I don't know. I've, I've felt his love before, but I'm not sure he loves me now. Like he loved me then. And we're thinking of our failures. We're thinking of the reasons why God shouldn't maybe love us. And so we wonder, does God's love sort of go up and down? Does it it ebb and flow with our worthiness? Well, I want to hope, along with the psalmist, to encourage you this morning. Because I think there's a deep significance to the psalm reminding us first of God's nature and God's gospel before he reminds us of God's love there's a there's a there's an order to that that will help us comprehend God's love and I find this to be so beautiful so beautiful remember his nature right we started off with this this know that the Lord he is God this all-powerful unrivaled one true God There's a one who's noble to us because he's revealed himself to us And think about this a little bit with me. What else has God revealed to us about Himself? Do you know that God is perfect? Do you know that? Psalm 18, among many other passages in Scripture, tell us so. It says this, this God, His way is perfect. He's perfect. The Word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in Him. God is perfect. Perfect. And because God is perfect, think about this more with me. He can't be added to and he can't be taken away from. He can't be diminished in any way. Otherwise, he would cease to be perfect. He would cease to be God. But the psalmist leaves no room for this possibility. He says, No, know this, the Lord, he is God. Do you know that God is love? Do you know that? 1 John 4:16 tells us so. God is love. And listen, that doesn't say God has love. As if love were simply a, a sort of a piece of the puzzle that all fit together makes up who God is. No, God doesn't consist of parts he's not like your car where you got a muffler here and a steering wheel here and a and a tire here and you put it all together and you get a car that's not the way God is he doesn't consist of parts if he did think about this he would be dependent on those parts for his being and God is dependent on no one and nothing why because he's perfect he's perfect He cannot be dependent on anyone or anything. So no, when John says in 1 John 4, God is love, he means he is love. He's the source of love. He's the definition of love. He's the fullness of love. And he can't be anything less than perfect love. God's love cannot change. Because God cannot change. Numbers 23, 19, God is not man, that he should lie, or a son of man, that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? He doesn't change. James tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of life, with whom there is no variation. Or shadow due to change the nature of God listen the nature of God makes it impossible for him to love less and he couldn't love more his steadfast love as the psalmist says here his steadfast love endures forever So that's the nature of God. what it sort of reminds us of here. And the gospel of God provides us with an assurance that even though I know I can change, and I, and I do change, I can love less. I can diminish. But, but it can't affect the way God sees me or sees us because the gospel reminds us that God sees me, he sees us in Christ. He was also perfect. So, if you feel that the love of God has wavered, if Thanksgiving this week is is sort of, it seems a little out of reach, can I can I get into the mood of being thankful and, and can I can I really praise God this week? If you feel that God's love has wavered in any way, I can assure you of this: it's not because God has moved. It's just because you have. God loves us perfectly. And he wants us to know this. Can you believe that this morning? Listen, Christian, I want you to know this and I want you to believe it this morning because you can believe it. It's true. And our good and faithful God invites us invites us in that knowledge to come into his presence with joyful thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We need to bless his name. Father, I bless your name. And I thank you for your word that reminds us what is true about you. Even as it confronts us with what is true about ourselves. We need to be reminded to to praise you. We need to be reminded to to give thanks to you. Because our hearts are feeble and our, our emotions, they waver. But God, you are steadfast in your love because you're good. You are God. You are the unmovable, all-powerful God who, who has made Yourself known to us and condescended to us in Your Son to make us Your flock. We belong to You, God. And, and if we remember that, Lord, oh, when we remember that, help us to remember that, You become supremely valuable to us. So I pray, Lord, that you would remind us this week again and again and again. I, I pray that, that as Thursday comes and we sit around our tables and we say to each other, what, what are you thankful for? The first thing that pops into our mind is I'm thankful that God is good and that he knows me and he loves me and that I can't screw that up. Thank you, God. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes that possible. We bless his name. And we rejoice as we sing. Amen.